Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Euros All Access podcast is proudly sponsored by Vauxhall. Before we kickstart today's episode, I just wanted to take a moment to make sure that all of our listeners are aware of the Vauxhall ELCV range. If you don't know what I'm referring to, it is the best-selling electric van range from Vauxhall, which is driving innovation in 2024 with its modern facelifted design and improved electric technology. Now, I know the transition to an electric vehicle can sometimes feel daunting, but rest assured that when you choose Vauxhall, you're in the safest of hands. The ELCV range is designed to be as accessible as a diesel van, with an electric range of up to 261 miles, and with one year's free public charging included, you will find it cheaper to run too. If you are already thinking of making the leap to an all-electric vehicle, then consider this your official sign. Go online and search Vauxhall Electric Vans today, Vauxhall's best-selling electric van range, energising a better Britain. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to Talk Sports Game Day Podcast with me, Sam Mazzaface, Talk Sports football correspondent Alex Crook and former West Ham and England striker Dean Ashton. Coming up, a bolt out of the blue. Frank Lampard is going back to Chelsea. Can you honestly believe that it happened? Um, a quick look back on a busy weekend of Premier League action in which Manchester United and Newcastle pulled away in the top four race, plus our usual bumper preview of all the top flight games, including Liverpool against Arsenal and United against Everton. It's the Game Day Podcast from TalkSport. Hello, Dean Ashton. You OK? Yes, I'm very well, thanks. Good. And uh, Alex Crook is here as well. Are you all right? A busy, busy week for you and I. It's been it's been crazy. Lots of games, lots of big stories. Has a manager been sacked in the last 10 minutes? That is the key question. Do you know what? I've just spotted the bags under my eyes. Um, so that's a reflection. I think it's been a busy week. But uh, no, I, I don't think anybody's been sacked since we started this recording. But who knows? By the end of it, that could be a different story. Uh, yeah, because Dean was at the London Stadium last night for Talk Sport to watch Newcastle make light work of West Ham United. Um, but Dean, when you're in a situation like West Ham are in at this moment in time, you need your experienced players to help you out. When you are scrapping down there, you need cool heads in those moments. And Lucas Fabianski, and excuse me for my technical parlance, I think I got this out of a UEFA Pro licensed training menu. He had one, didn't he? Yes, but he wasn't the only one. I mean, four of the five goals were, probably five of the five goals, were West Ham defensive mistakes, catastrophic errors. And to be fair, I thought there were some players that stood up in the second part of the first half when they were already 2-0 down and you could sense that anxiety in the, in the, in the stadium. You know, the likes of the Antonios, Rice, I thought, was, uh, was very good still. Bowen still looks to to be positive. And they looked to get back into it with that with that first goal for West Ham. And you thought, well, if they come out in the second half with the same sort of energy and then within 30 seconds, Aguirre just gives it oh, to dear. just gives it to uh, to Murphy. And honestly, from that minute on, you could just see 
the players almost slumped. There wasn't that reaction again as there was in the first half. And that's, I mean, the exodus of the supporters with sort of 15, 20 minutes to go. And then lots of supporters waiting for David Moyes, booing him as he walked off off the pitch. I don't think he's obviously a, a great look. The one thing I would say is his interview afterwards was 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 very good and, and I thought very honest and was probably one of the best things he said all year. Rather than talking about how brilliant the achievements have been since he's been at the club, he sort of addressed the fact that that just simply wasn't good enough and I, and I would have walked out. What are they going to do about David Moyes? Because there seems to be a belief that if you're in a situation like this, what you need is David Moyes. But it seems that West Ham supporters have run out of patience with him. I mean, is that because we're too quick to judge now and we're so demanding as supporters and that's probably one of the reasons why there's been 12 managerial casualties over the course of the season? Or or is it actually a desperation on part of owners realising that falling out of the Premier League is so catastrophic for your finances that you can't possibly allow that to happen and you have to do everything you can in order to avoid it, yeah, I think that's certainly a factor in why there have been so many dismissals. I don't blame the West Ham fans for losing patience. I covered the game on Sunday. I was in no doubt, having done that, they would get battered by Newcastle. They were dreadful against Southampton. They've got players there mm. who are playing within themselves, who David Moyes is clearly not capable of getting the best out of. I think it would be the right decision to sack him now. I really do. At the moment, the reason the board are reluctant to do that is because they don't feel like there's a a better replacement on the market. And I guess if you look at the situation of the teams, you have changed managers. Southampton coming down on Nathan Jones and then putting their caretaker uh, in charge. Leicester with this interim team going into the weekend, maybe until the end of the season. Even Chelsea going back to Frank Lampard, which I know you're going to lord as a Chelsea fan, but it's not a brilliant look, is it? They just aren't the calibre of managers who are willing to come in at this stage. Roy Hodgson going back to Crystal Palace. So it's a shame this is not a phone-in because I'd love to chuck it out to the West Ham fans. You want David Moyes gone, who do you want in? Who's going to take the job and keep them up? What you're saying is there's no one hanging around West Ham and sort of hobnobbing in one of the boxes <laughs> edging for the job. That's the issue, isn't it, right? You know, at this moment in time. There needs to be more ex-West Ham pros. Well, Dino was there. Sort of sticking their hand up. Yeah, Dino, why don't you just say, I'll do it, fella. <laughs> I mean, we've got Stuart Pearce ready to just step in and do the He's job. He's not going to do that. His mate's David Moyes. <laughs> I know. The thing is, as well, that boards now really know that you almost cannot go back to what the supporters would class as sort of the, the dinosaurs of, of the games of the years gone by. They're very reluctant to go back to that to almost save them as such. And... And I guess the board are right in terms of, you look at that game against Southampton, they were awful, but they won it. And David Moyes does know how, and I, and I think he's capable of getting enough points against the teams in and around them to keep them up. But it's horrendous to watch. And the one thing I would say is that he's very loyal. He, he talked about having options for this game against Newcastle, yet only made one change and it was Antonio back into the side. I just haven't seen a change at all, whether it's style or perseverance with certain players or different players. That's the one thing I would criticise David Moyes on, is that he's he's not been able to change. And teams just know how to play against West Ham. You you nullify that counter-attack that they're trying to achieve, and basically then you can control the game against them. 
Um, top four, all but still for Newcastle United after that uh, victory. I, you would have thought they're certainly in a commanding position. Um, Manchester United up behind them as well. Brentford have been so good, especially at home, and it feels churlish to criticise them, but they didn't turn up for the game. I was at Old Trafford for this match, and United were better, more purposeful, certainly more control. Didn't create too much, and I did feel... Uh, Message Crook at half-time said, I think they need a second goal here. Otherwise, it could be a nervy finish, especially with Brentford's penchant for scoring late goals. Um, but Brentford just never managed to conjure a meaningful attack until right at the very end. David De Gea did very well once more. The truth is, is that Manchester United, if they can just keep edging their way forward, they will seal the top four place. And then it's what they do in the Cups, which is going to define their season, Crook. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised how passive Brentford were. I thought this would be a, a difficult game. I didn't think United would win it comfortably. In the end, the scoreline suggests they didn't win it comfortably. But in the first half, it was comfortable. I actually felt United played quite well compared to how they performed at Newcastle at the weekend. I like the combination Not play. difficult, that though, Crook. Uh, no, it wasn't difficult. Uh, I quite like the combination play between Sabitzer and Rashford. That was a tactical tweak from... Uh, from Eric Ten Hag, almost playing Sabitzer at times, the false number nine, and Rashford playing off him in the number 10 role. 28 goals now for the season. I mean, I don't think enough is made of that when you look at where Marcus Rashford was this time a year ago. But it is in their own hands now. It was an important victory. You look at the games they've got to come. There's some winnable fixtures. Should be Everton at home. Should be winning uh, at Forest. That would give them a nice buffer, I think, to the teams that are chasing them. But they still need Christian Eriksen back out there. He still makes such a difference. If they're going to win the Cups that you allude to, they need him fit. Yeah. He sat next to us, actually, on uh, Wednesday night. He was about three seats down from where we were and he looked in fine fettle. He has back, been back in team training and he should be available in the not-too-distant future. Full Premier League uh, weekend preview to come. But first, only one place really to start in terms of having a deep dive. And Frank Lampard is back in the Premier League and he's back at Chelsea. Yeah. Possibility of Frank Lampard returning in the short term. My understanding is that he was at Stamford Bridge last night. I told you Chelsea were the best team in the world, and tonight we are. Get in there. Are you saying that Frank Lampard being at the game brought him into the thinking of the owners? That's what's been suggested to me this morning. Well, that's the most the ludicrous, of... ridiculous, nonsensical thing I think I've ever heard. Breaking news then on Talksport. Frank Lampard has accepted an offer to take charge of Chelsea on an interim basis. Plays the ball into Ashley Cole. Cole back to Lampard. Lampard scores from eight yards. It was so easy. I think it would be laughable. I think Frank Lampard was an abject failure towards the end at Everton. Frank's a nice fella, but that's irrelevant. The opportunity to manage, having played here, having felt the club, this club, these fans, uh, was huge. He will see this as a chance that he could not turn down. Why are you not getting a manager now? Because Why is Enrique I, not coming in? Why is I, Nagelsmann not coming in? Why? I'm not sure they want to come right now. You got, you're playing Real Madrid next week. One step beyond. I have to tell you, this is my favourite story of the whole year. This is absolutely my favourite day of the whole year so far. Not just because Crook and I worked on it together. And when I sent him a timeline of Tuesday night's conversation between Frank Lampard and the powers that be at Chelsea, he just sent me a one-word text message back, which went, wow. That was at 8.50 in the morning on Thursday. I was on a train and uh, we were sort of trying to exchange messages. We were trying to piece together the story. And, and we were getting interrupted by signal issues. I went, in the end, I'm going to have to call you when I get off the train. And he said, what time do you land? 11 o'clock. And I could hear the frustration 
and sighing going through his head. He wanted the information straight away. Um, it's bonkers. The turn of events, absolutely bonkers. I'll tell you what I think of the decision in just a moment. But Dean and Crook, give us a quick verdict on why Chelsea would have turned back to, to Lampard. Dean, you go first. Well, it has to be that their first or second choice is it's not possible. You know, I don't know, contractually or or because the uh, because the candidate doesn't want to take it now and wants to wait till the... So the ha- yeah, but what, what do you think of it? But what do you think of the actual act of Lampard being in the dugout? I think it gives supporters of every other club a real good laugh. <laughs> That's what I think. Because because he's he was he was awful at Everton. He was. And also what what also I was sat there at the London Stadium and I heard I'd listened to you and Mickey Gray and even Aid half go winning the Champions League. Honestly, they're not gonna win the Champions League. <laughs> I just it, I'm amazed that I know he's a he's a legend. And actually he did a very good job, I thought, when he was there originally in very different circumstances to where they are now. But it, it, it does seem a bit like it's it, it's kind of a bit of a, a big joke, and I bet he can't even believe that he's been given this this opportunity. He's got nothing to lose. It's it's an unbelievable opportunity for him. I'm not sure it's going to work. I and I can I can see them getting well and truly thumped by Real Madrid as well, and 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 maybe opinions will change. <laughs> um, Crook, do you want to just give us your view on? the situation of Lampard being in the dugout. You don't need to give us the background to the story because we know what happened, but yeah, go. Well, you know that I don't think Frank Lampard is a particularly good manager. We've had that conversation on this podcast. So I I absolutely understand where Dean Ashton is coming from. And the thought of Frank Lampard leading a poor Chelsea side to Champions League glory is fanciful in the extreme. However... But you would have said that in 2012. (laughs) They, They do have history... I can't see it repeating on this occasion. It amazes me how unified the Chelsea fan base seemed to be behind this appointment. I get that he's a club legend. There's club legends at Manchester United that if they appointed them, if they brought Ole Gunnar Solskjaer back, I wouldn't be waxing lyrical in the way that Chelsea fans are about this appointment. But Bruno Celta clearly didn't want the job until the end of the season. He felt too attached to Graham Potter. They can't get Nagelsmann now. Obviously, Luis Enrique wants to wait until the summer as well. They need someone to come in and give the supporters a lift, give the dressing room a lift. He might be able to do that. I don't think he'll be any worse than what Chelsea have been producing in the last few weeks. Yeah, and when I spoke to you yesterday and I told you the fact that Bruno was so eager to get out, I think you started to understand why Chelsea went down this route. Um, And the questions from the outside and people that aren't Chelsea fans, fans of other clubs who, as Dean has already said, are having a good old chuckle about this, are, are saying... Why would you sack Graham Potter in the first place if you're going to bring in Lampard? What will Lampard get out of this disjointed squad that Graham Potter couldn't? Is he suddenly a better manager than than Graham Potter? And and if he wins the Champions League, is he going to stay beyond the end of the season? Well, let's deal with that first of all. No is the answer. They've been told pretty clearly that this is a very short-term job. It's till the end of the season. Do what you can, but... Ultimately, they are going to go for Nagelsmann or Enrique at the end of the season. They couldn't untangle Nagelsmann's contract. They couldn't come to an agreement with uh, Enrique quick enough to have someone in place to look after the Real Madrid game. They felt that it probably wasn't right for Bruno to continue because he didn't want to be there. So they had to move him on. Now, look, Frank Lampard has had a bad time. 
There's no doubt about it, right? He had a bad time at Everton. There's circumstances there that I think mitigate some of the performances. But he's not a bad football manager. It's not a good he one either. He might not be an elite Champions League winning... Uh, listen, he didn't do too badly with Derby. And as Dean has already alluded to, he didn't do too badly with uh, Chelsea over the course of the first two seasons he was there. Certainly when he left Chelsea, they're in a better position than they Where are, are Derby right now. now by the no way. doubt what about that. Derby after he left? That's got nothing to do with Frank Lampard. That's got everything to do with the fact that they were asset stripped and they, all, they had no money and they ended up going bankrupt about four times. Don't try and pin his sale of Pride Park uh, to some other company on, uh, on Frank Lampard. Um, look, the ship was rudderless. Bruno wanted out. They hadn't realised they couldn't get anyone. I mean, it just sums up the way that a modern football club is run now, that they make a decision to sack a manager and have got no clue about what to do. And there's a bloke having a cup of, tea, a cup of tea in the corner at the Liverpool game and they think, oh, actually, <laughs> is there any chance you could help us out here? Um, it is. It is. It, there is a bit of comedy to it in the fact that the way that Chelsea have gone about their business. But is it a bad decision? I think it's a no-brainer. Yeah, but, yeah, but I Sam, think it's an Sam, absolute... This, this... No brainer. Frank Lampard should be going back to a derby or a championship where he, I thought, was was reasonably successful, and that I think to to develop to develop himself as a manager, not go back in. And he might. And, and he might. And he's not going to turn around to a, cha- a Champions League chasing club and a and, team that's a midway in the Premier League table and say, "No, I'm not going to come in and help you out for the last ten games of the season." Because I'm going to let somebody else get on with it. Of course he's going to take that. He's got good coaches with him. Chris Jones and Joe Edwards and Ashley Cole are going to go in as well. Look, it ain't beyond the realms of possibility that they improve the team. They couldn't make them much worse. I mean, they missed so many chances. It's crazy. Joe Edwards is going to be back on the training ground with Kai Havertz doing finishing for two hours after every training session again, like he was two years ago. Because this guy keeps missing more chances than some of the worst, more more chances about Veghorst he misses is unbelievable. So they can get better. Whether they do get better, whether whether anything happens, I what don't does it know. Say, what, what does it, it say it, about the ownership, though? What does the, what does the, the appointment? Exactly, that's what the I just said. Of Potter and now Lampard. That's a whole new podcast. Then, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it doesn't it doesn't bode well from from an outsider's but point of view. We said this. That if you, if you if you've listened to the podcast over the last couple of weeks, you'd have heard me banging on about managers uh, being sacked and no replacements being yeah. readied. You know, you look at the Crystal Palace situation. You look at the Chelsea situation. You look at the situation uh, involving Leicester City and Brendan Rodgers. There are emergency decisions that have been made as a reaction to something that has happened or uh, a turn of events that they don't believe that that manager is going to turn around. But they haven't looked any further than the end of their nose and decided what's going to happen next. I mean, look at the Brendan Rodgers situation. I mean, who removes an experienced coach like that and puts in someone who's never managed a football match before? Who puts in Bruno Salter, who's never picked a team prior to, prior to the game against Liverpool, ever, and is happy to admit that, and then lets him get on with a massive Premier League game against the team being run by Jurgen Klopp? Actually, you know, in, in the fullness of time, probably Chelsea were the, the better team in that game. But... Ultimately, it's amateur hour. And Frank Lampard will add a little bit of organisation. They will do something. They're not, they're, not, they're, not, they're not babies. They know what they're doing. They're going to go in and they'll, they'll, they'll keep it on an even keel. I think it's, I mean, it is a, it's a, such a mad situation. <laughs> but the Premier League is a mad I think situation. they'll stay up now, Chelsea. It's being run by people. 
in a twist of irony, um, you know when uh, Frank Lampard got sacked, his next game was against Wolverhampton Wanderers in the Premier League away from home. And his first game back in the dugout is going to be Wolverhampton Wanderers away from home in the Premier League. I wonder if he'll walk in to the training ground and just go, right, lads, where were we? Let's crack on. Uh, we'll crack on as well. Uh, we'll keep you updated uh, with that throughout the course of uh, the season. Ten more uh, games to go for Chelsea um, with the Champions League as well. Uh, let's send our teeth into the weekend's action, starting with Lampard's old club, Everton, away at Old Trafford. From the minute you wake up to the minute you go to bed, you can be entertained by talk sport. Towards Savitzer, down to Rashford! six yards out well you weren't going to keep him quiet for very long when you don't bring it on the pitch uh, you're caught beaten in the Premier League Keane strides forward into a shooting position right for oh! goal oh yes what a goal wanting and being thirsty to, to affect a situation everyone's got to make a difference not just one person it's everyone and that is the full time whistle it's now six successive away games without a win for the first time in three and a half years for Tottenham it's over in it goes Finished by Ferguson and Brighton have the lead of Bournemouth. They are turning up the heat at just the right time. United against Everton is live on Talk Sports. 12:30 kickoff. Uh, great for Rashford to score as the number nine on uh, Wednesday night. Took his goal really well. I thought it was a really well constructed goal from Manchester United. Delicate chip over the top uh, from. Um, Anthony, uh, Sabitzer had stayed in from the corner kick, a little nod to Rashford, and he rammed it in the roof of the net. He scored 28 goals this season. He had three Premier League games without a goal before he scored uh, on uh, Wednesday night. He'd scored him nine of the previous 10 pre Premier League games. I thought a little bit was made, too much of, of uh, Manchester United's goal drought, because although they had gone three games without scoring a goal since the Carabao Cup final in the Premier League. That had been interspersed with scoring eight goals in three matches in other competitions. So they've always had a goal threat. Yeah, but the performances have been flat. I knew Brentford would be a tough nut to crack, so I wasn't expecting a goal fest. But they did have uh, some decent opportunities. The one that McTominay put over the crossbar, I think he should have scored. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not overly alarmed, as you say, but I was just starting to become a little bit concerned that maybe the season was, was drifting away. I think this is a really good game to make it back-to-back -back home wins. I've just been looking at Everton's away form. Am I right in saying they've not won away from home since October the 1st when they beat Southampton, which everybody does? Mm. Yeah, they don't win away from home very often. They've won three of the last four at home before Monday night's game with Tottenham when they were down to 10 men and dragged themselves back into the game and drew 1-1. Um, they played quite well in that match. We'll talk about them in just a second. Val Veghorst was left out of the game on Wednesday night, Dean. Um he was taken out of the firing line. I don't really see why he's getting so much of the blame for United's poor run. He cost three beans in a packet of roll-ups and he's on loan from Burnley. What on earth did they expect him to be like? I mean, he's not hes not the first striker in what I would say the post-Pogba era who plays that lone role, whose sole objective isn't actually to score goals. It's basically to... Agreed be somebody that attracts defenders that can be played into and played off. And your wingers are your forwards, effectively. And and in the games I've watched, he's actually been very useful in that sense. I, 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 thought, I thought in I the uh, in the Carabao Cup final, he was, he was brilliant. 
He was a great foil for the Rashford goal. And I think that can be missed because people just think, well, when he gets in front of goal, he really doesn't look like scoring. And that, and, and, yeah, and, and, I, and I think that's, I think that's because the pressure's too much for him probably at Manchester United for his abilities. I'm not sure he's capable of handling the pressure of playing for a club like Manchester United and delivering, uh, being confident enough to deliver the, the, the goals. But his work ethic, the way he works for the side, the things that maybe people just dismiss, I think have been really important. And that's why he plays. That's why he has played so often, because he's been a great foil for Marcus Rashford to get as many goals as he as he has done. So I think it was the right decision to bring him out. And I do like Rashford through the middle if you've got the wide players in good form that can come in. Um, and I, I think the big miss is obviously Casemiro and Eriksen. They look a very different side, Manchester United, without those two, without those two players. And and I think they're not quite back, are they, for this game? Um, Casemiro is not available. No, and I think I think it may be just a bit too soon for Eriksen as well. So if Everton are going to have a chance, I think it is going to be. It is going to be at the weekend, even, although it'll be very difficult. And you know they've drawn the last two away games and and scored two goals in each of those, so they'll be confident. I was impressed with watching them in the flesh, notably the way they played. Actually, they pressed the ball really high, didn't pump it long all the time. They tried to play a little bit too. They mixed it up. They're not afraid to get it up and play off a second ball, but they're happy to play through midfield. Iwobi, Dakure, Anana, Gay, McNeil. All five of those across the middle of the park, I thought, were excellent. And that is an area that Manchester United, as Dean has already highlighted, are lighting at this moment in time, Crook. I think United need to start Fred in that midfield if they want to dominate it. Yeah, I was surprised he didn't start last night. I don't know if you spoke to Eric Ten Hag about that after the game, but I thought that the combination of McTominay and Sabitzer really didn't work at Newcastle on Sunday. So I was surprised that he didn't make more changes. Um, obviously, no Decore for Everton, so that's going to, to weaken them. I just can't see where Everton's goals are coming from. I think United defensively at home are still pretty strong. Um, they haven't lost at home since the first day of the season. I'd be very disappointed if United didn't win this with a little bit to spare, to be honest. Where are the goals coming from? Probably Michael Keane or James Tarkovsky, I would have thought. <laughs> They're definitely not coming from a centre-forward, are they? I mean, you talk about, about Veghorst. Uh, Everton don't play with a centre-forward anyway, seemingly. A good week for Everton, really. A goal of the season contender on Monday night. Results genuinely went their way over the course of the week, really, as well. The other teams losing in and around them has given them a bit of a boost, but it is so very congested at the bottom of the season, uh, at the bottom of the uh, the table, that any movement, any slight movement, any little ripple, a point here or there, changes the complexion of the whole thing and actually alters the mood. Because if you look at the table itself, there are sort of, so so few points between all of the contenders at the bottom of the table that you're not safe. Even if you win a game at the weekend, you're not safe. It, it doesn't really change the, the, the picture, Dean, does it? it, it it's going to take a long while before we start to see these teams separate and fan out, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think if you look up to Crystal Palace, you know, even if Crystal Palace win, you wouldn't want to be only six points from the relegation zones coming down to the last you know, four or five games of the of the season. So I think it is going to constantly change. I think you're absolutely right. A, a, what a win does is it does boost confidence, doesn't it? The mindset, if you're a Leeds and you've, you've got that victory, 
and then you jump up and you look at yourselves in 13th and maybe forget about just the points for a second, it does it does give you a boost. I've, I've, I've been in many relegation battles, sadly, and that dotted line is a real... It does affect you mentally as a squad when you're when you're underneath it, and um, and you can't underestimate what a victory can do to and and you know teams will be looking towards the end of the season. A back to back victories will will probably do it. That'll probably get you out and save you a back to back victories, and and that's what all the teams will be looking for. Do you know what I've got the table in front of me though, and and quite handily on on the BBC website, there's a sort of form guide next to each team uh, green for a win red for a loss gray for a draw i'm looking at the bottom half of the table from crystal palace down there isn't back-to-back greens for any of those teams so that's why it's so tight because a team picks up a win one week and think okay they're gonna be okay now they'll kick on and they don't kick on that you know they're, they're they find it impossible to put together back well, that's why they're victories. in the bottom of the table that's because that's the nature of the the teams that are down there. The quality level is is that the consistency is a major issue for them. Um, Spurs against Brighton uh, live on Talksport too. Talking about inconsistency. In fact, actually, Spurs are quite consistent, consistently bad, and they were very bad on uh, Monday night. In fact, dreadful as a football team. The way that they uh, operate is is outdated. It looks to me as if it uh, is going out of fashion. This idea of being tight, compact, pragmatic, and then trying to to wear an opponent down and then hit them later in games. It, it's something from the, from the, you know, the early 2000s, late 2000s thing. It's not something that is going to... I think it'll be outdated very, very soon. I think people can't deal with, the fans can't deal with the, the, the boring nature of the football. They demand more now. People are tactically more aware. They can see that it's very basic and, and very dull. It may well be effective in grinding out results, but if you want to be a team that challenges at the top of the table, I mean, look for, for no different contrast than Spurs and Brighton. I mean, tactically innovative, exciting, creative, a team that you would pay to go and watch, and Spurs. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think and that and that's the thing, Sam. A, a Spurs side that clearly financially are a, a bigger powerhouse with the stadium than, than a Brighton or a Brentford or a Fulham. They're watching how they're playing and going, well, how, how how can we not have that style of football? And you're right. I think fans are very much more uh, educated in terms of styles and they expect more from their their coaches and their and their players. And Brighton. It, it honestly wouldn't surprise me if they really taught Tottenham a lesson. They have been unbelievable in terms of the amount of chances that they have been creating. It's 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 been a little bit obscene. I mean, just to give an example, the game against uh, Brentford, every outfield player had two shots. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's absolutely ridiculous. And it was the most shots that a team had faced uh, in a Premier League game uh, ever. It was it was thirty three shots on goal, wasn't it, over the course of of the ninety minutes? It was it was ridiculous. Um, Tottenham have appointed Christian Stellini until the end of the season. Um, his best quote so far um, this week has been to say, "We played a good game on Monday night, which the sports bar have been playing over and over and over again." as you would imagine on TalkSport. Um, um, again, we didn't mention it when we were talking about managers and the, and the change of uh, a manager, but they didn't think this through either, did they? Because 
a bit like the Bruno thing with uh, Chelsea. If you take a manager whose system is not working and is uninspiring and has left everybody feeling flat and put in basically his assistant who does the same thing, not much is going to change, is it? I mean, you can't, you can't hope for much to change. If, if your plan is to, to give things a boost or a, or a shift up or a shock to the system, putting the assistant in charge is not usually a great idea, Crook. No, and actually, if, if you're looking for reasons that Chelsea have gone down the Lampard route, then maybe a, a look towards their London neighbours is evidence of why. Because you're right, Stellini is basically a clone of, of Conte. We saw that against Everton. I thought they were dreadful in terms of game management after taking the lead. They, they basically invited Everton onto them to get the equalising goal. And that's why I agree with Dean. I think Brighton could run out quite comfortable winners here. I know it's an away game and it's never easy to go to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. But... Brighton have got a zest. They've got, um, as you're saying, innovation in the way they play. And they've got this desire, which comes from the manager, to actually upset the standard order. I spoke to Jason Steele, their goalkeeper, and he said to me, people know that we're here. And he said, when you've got a manager like Deserby who makes no secret of the fact he wants to finish in the top four, how can that not rub off on the players? And I love that because you speak to Marco Silva, for example, you won't get him saying that Fulham are European contenders. Normally, managers bat away those type of questions. Deserby doesn't it? Doesn't. When you ask him if they can qualify for the Europa League, he says, no, 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 we're trying for the top four. Our goal is a little bit higher. I think that's wonderfully refreshing. It is wonderfully refreshing, but I don't ever understand why managers would play such things down, especially those in the position of Fulham and, uh, and Brighton. Like, who are you going to upset by saying, you know, we actually really want to win something? I mean, Christ, isn't that surely the aim of the game? Why would you be playing that down? It's like they try to take the pressure off the players. Well, no, give them a carrot and say, go on, chase it. We're going to try and do this. Fans love to hear, Dean, don't they, that you want to do something rather than well, you know, it's a bit difficult for us. Yeah, I think they do. I think they do. But I can I can understand why certain managers would be cautious and therefore they don't want to not effectively promise something that then might not be achieved and it's seen as an underachievement. Rather, not say anything. And if you get there, then it's a massive overachievement and looks great for for yourselves. Um but I just, I, I just want to go back to, to Tottenham because every time I played Tottenham, they were just an unbelievable attacking side. You'd go to White Hart Lane and you'd be bombarded with attack after attack after attack. And that's what they've had for so many years. And to have to sit through Mourinho, you know, Espirito Santo and also now, uh, now Conte... It must be depressing. It has to be to watch that style of football must be depressing because they've been so used to over the years, such great attacking flair from magnificent players over the years. And they, they do they need to get back to that. That's part of I think their club's DNA. Well, they certainly aren't playing that way at the moment. Um it's been pretty dull to watch all season. We've constantly talked about it on the podcast and you know, you go back to early part of the season when they were in the top four and they looked like they were winning most games, most weeks. They were still pretty bad. I remember them going down to Bournemouth and, and trailing by two goals to nil and then coming back and winning in the last minute. I mean, they are, they are, they're just not a very good football team and they are so slow and ponderous. They, Crook mentioned game management. Lucas Moura's challenge when they were one nil up against 10 men in the last two minutes of the game. What on earth is he doing? 
Absolutely crazy. Uh, talking of crazy, let's get to the King Power Stadium. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Euros All Access podcast is proudly sponsored by Vauxhall. I just wanted to take a moment to make sure that all of our listeners are aware of the new Vauxhall Combo Electric. The Combo Electric is Vauxhall's new compact van that is made right here in Britain at their Ellesmere Port plant. Not only does the new van look fantastic and with a striking redesign, but by manufacturing the Combo Electric locally, Vauxhall is helping to support the British workforce. Local manufacturing also reduces the cost of going electric, making the transition accessible for more businesses. With an electric range of up to 205 miles on a single charge and one year's free public charging included, the new Combo Electric is ready to take on whatever you throw at it. Head online today and see for yourself. Search Vauxhall Electric Vans and prepare to lead the charge. Vauxhall's best-selling electric van range, energising a better Britain. Terms and conditions apply. Leicester City against Bournemouth. Wow, this is massive, right? These two teams at the bottom of the table fighting to stay in the Premier League. Leicester well and truly must win territory zone. Bournemouth, I think even after the midweek games, will still see themselves in the same place, won't they, Crook? Because, you know, after a couple of good results, they now find themselves on the back end of a a defeat to, to Brighton at home. And now they've got to go away where they're not traditionally as good. Yeah, back in the bottom three uh, on goal difference. I didn't think they lost much in defeat against Brighton. We just talked about how good a side Brighton are this season. Bournemouth actually created some excellent chances. Hamid Traore at 1-0 down, 1-on-1 one one has to score. Uh, Steele was probably the busier of the two goalkeepers. So I think it was it was an OK performance and, and probably won't derail the confidence they took from those back-to-back home wins against Liverpool and Fulham. But as you say, they've really struggled to pick up victories uh, on the road. But if there's a team that you want to be facing at the moment, surely it's Leicester, isn't it? I mean, you talk about a rudderless ship. They've lost four of their last five. They're second from bottom in the table. The fans really not happy with the way the football club is being run. They've got a caretaker management pair. I think if Bournemouth start the game well, set about their task in the right way, then they could take advantage. And I tell you what, again, Dean's talked about it, putting together back-to-back wins, maybe picking up wins where you don't expect to. If they could pick up a victory here, it would be a really big step towards staying in the Premier League. Yeah, let's hear from Adam Sadler, who is the Leicester interim manager. He says it will take a massive effort to stay in the league, but he believes they're capable. Well, a relegation fight is a relegation fight. I mean, we, we, we understand... The reality of the situation is that we have nine games to go and we need points on the board, but it's a challenge. We're all in the game because we love the challenge. It's competitive sport, it's competitive football. Of course, we'd prefer to be 
at the other end of the table challenging, but we're not. We are where we are, so we have to take that challenge on. The both of us uh, will give our absolute maximum to the football club and to the team, and that's all we can do. I know that the boys in there tonight will be disappointed in terms of uh, the outcome, the result, but, but our job is to try and make a few corrections before the weekend on one or two small details, and then... We give everything we've got on Saturday here back at the King Power with our fan base behind us like they were tonight. We were really delighted with the fans and that response um, was brilliant. Even going a goal behind, everybody in the stadium stayed positive, players included. I'm really proud of that. Well, they certainly are capable, aren't they, Dean, in terms of talent? There is enough talent in that Leicester squad that they should be putting better results on the board. Why aren't they? I think because... um a lack of confidence has, has really set in into the club. Um, and, you know, you've got players that haven't been replaced. I think Vardy clearly is is coming towards the end of his, his Leicester career anyway and hasn't properly been been replaced. Um, and you've got players that have been below par and then they've struggled, obviously, defensively and, and, with, and with the goalkeeper. So there's a, there's a number of issues. But I think it's when that sets in, that lack of, that lack of confidence and when you concede a goal, how mentally you change as a side. I think Leicester are one of those one of those teams that they seem okay. The minute they concede, it seems to be a bit of a a disaster for them and they can't they can't turn things around. But they've got they have got talented players in there that that need to really step up. I you know, I, I talked about it last night about West Ham. When things are tough, you need your real top players to step forward and produce performances and moments in games, big games, which this is against Bournemouth, and, and try and drag you drag you out. Because these games are going to be very tight and it will take your better players to probably dig you out or set plays or, or, or being tight. But I've been impressed with Bournemouth. I think if you, and I know it's very, um, it, it can come back to, to bite you if you just say, well, you know, if you look at the eye test and see how they're playing. But they've had, an unbelievably tough run of fixtures. You know, City, Arsenal, Liverpool, Villa away, Brighton, very, very difficult run of fixtures. And now, as they come towards the end of the season, Leicester, West Ham, Southampton, Leeds in the next five, I think then we'll see. We'll really see where whether Bournemouth um, are going to stay up just in those, in those next five games. But I actually think they've played, in terms of the, the way that they've played, how... They've looked a threat in every single game I've, I've watched. Um, they'd be the team that I'd say I've got a chance. Crook, obviously Chelsea made a decision to bring in a caretaker manager in Frank Lampard. Leicester City, is it possible that they could do the same? Martin O'Neill has been linked in the last 24 hours. Is that someone clutching at straws or is that a serious thought process from those in power at the King Power Stadium? I think... Their ideal scenario is that the the caretaker team they've put in place pick up enough points in, in the short term that actually they can limp on until the end of the season. If that doesn't happen, then like Chelsea, I think you need to think: well, what can what can give us a short term lift? What can give us that marginal gain? Is that Martin O'Neill coming back to the football club again? It would probably be a winner with the Leicester fans, but it's a long time since Martin O'Neill has managed a game at club level, isn't it? So I'm not sure that's a a step in the right direction. Then you talk about Rafa Benitez who's another name who's been linked does he really want to put his reputation on the line there'll be what eight games to go after this weekend every chance that in those eight games he could oversee a relegation I think it's going to be very difficult to attract anybody of that ilk to come in and, and take over on those terms 
Okay, Aston Villa against Forest. Uh, Forest looked like they were going to uh, sack Steve Cooper in the week, or certainly there was a lot of rumours about that. Ultimately, that didn't happen. I spoke to him briefly uh, last night, and he said the challenging times are the times that help you the most in a weird way because it shapes your mentality. It means that you know you have to dig in and and get through. Can Forest get through this tough period? Because their home games are really, really tough. They didn't get a result that they thought that they could have done against Leeds United. Leeds United came back from a goal down and did very well to take all three points on Tuesday night. Forest got something against Wolves. Can they get anything against Aston Villa, Dean, who are certainly on the up? It doesn't matter who they face at home. They are going to be, you know, they're going to be tough to beat. Um, and that's what they've got to hope for. I, I, I think if you've stuck with Steve Cooper for this long, why would you all of a sudden now make that make that change? Um, I, I, I don't see that. And I like the fact that they've come out and and sort of squashed that and, and given maybe him the confidence to go on with his side. But it's, it's hard to make a case just because of that that away form and the tough home fixtures, I think it's going to be a real tough run for, for Nottingham Forest till the end of the season. Aston Villa are absolutely rampant at the moment and especially uh, Ollie Watkins away from home. He's scored in six straight away games um, when he scored at Leicester, but he's scored an inordinate number of goals since Danny Ings was sold. I mean, that certainly has had a bearing on things, hasn't it, Crook? I think it's given him the confidence. You know, he knows he's the number nine now. I'm not convinced he really knew what role he had to play all the time that Danny Ings was there. But Unai Emery has clearly put his arm around him and said, you're my man. And yes, he's responded. Um, and you know, I think Gareth Southgate will be taking note of his form as well. He's just a good footballer, Ollie Watkins. And actually, the element that was missing to his game was the finishing. Um, he wasn't always particularly prolific at taking the chance that came his way. Clearly, he's improved on that now. And he's a joy to watch. There's a feel-good factor around Aston Villa. And with Forest poor away form, I think their run will continue. And again, Unai Emery's playing it down. They're only a couple of points off the European places. It's going to be difficult to reel in a team like Brighton. But tell you what, you wouldn't necessarily rule out Aston Villa catching up with Spurs. They're six points behind, but Spurs in total disarray. If Villa can keep up this form, if he could get them into Europe, that would be a magnificent under-the-radar achievement from Unai Emery. Uh, Fulham against West Ham this weekend. Mitrovic given an eight-game ban from the FA. How do we feel about this? Because the FA have decided that eight is not enough and they're going to appeal against it. Uh, Dean, is that correct? I mean, that felt right. It, it, it you know, it wasn't... Um, it's, look, whatever you do to referee, it's wrong. Whether, but it, it, to me, that felt about right in terms of the, in terms of the ban. And there had to be something because this, this can't happen. Um, I think they'll feel obviously very um, harshly treated because of what happened with with Bruno Fernandes. But ultimately, they have to just accept that when you do that and you step over the line, you should you should be punished. And and it feels about right to me. Um, what about um, this game? Because West Ham might see this as an opportunity, Dean, in order to get some points on the board. Yes, and having been there last night, I think they're even though they've had a decent record at home. Um, it's uh, it's it's the away form that's been surprisingly abysmal from West Ham. So I don't again I don't I don't see this. Oh well, it's Fulham, so therefore that's our that's our chance rather than a a Newcastle at home. I hate that mentality. Now we're coming towards the real um, sharp end of the season. It is the teams like when Bournemouth beat Liverpool. It, it's the teams that can produce a, a result. So then when you go in 
to the dressing room afterwards and you know other teams are going in having lost and they look at the result of you beating a team that they that they probably don't expect you to, that's the thing that hurts. That's the little extra bits that can hurt mentality of the opposition that are trying to, to stay up as well. That's not going to be an easy game. I mean, Fulham, despite Ivan Mitrovic, they, they've been fantastic all season. But, but, but it's one of those games where actually, Dean, Fulham have fallen off a, a cliff a little bit. They generally look like they've run out a little bit of steam now. And maybe that, that game against Manchester United in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup actually was the sort of straw that, that broke the, the camel's back. They know that their season is floating away from them. They had a brilliant time. They've been fantastic. Marco Silva's done a very good job. But you know, towards the end of the season, you do get teams like this that have done well. They're not going to achieve what they thought they were going to achieve and they start to drift a bit. So West Ham might sense an opportunity. Look, maybe I'm clashing at straws for West Ham United, but ultimately, if they are going to stay up, it's games like this that they have to win, that they have to target if they're going to remain in the Premier League. Um, Southampton want to remain in the Premier League, but it looks an unlikely task. They play Manchester City at 5.30 on Saturday and they could be soon cut adrift given their run of fixtures crook. You look at their matches that are upcoming. Arsenal and Newcastle to play in April after this game. It's a tough, tough month for Ruben Sellers. I've already forgotten about Southampton as a Premier League entity, to be honest. We talk about the relegation battle, so many teams involved. They're down. They've been down for some time. Until they come up on the rails, survive on the final day, and Crook says, I told you so. No, it's it's not going to happen. They're not good enough. They've not got enough quality. Um, They've not got enough spirit compared to some of the teams down there. And they've got a difficult run of games, as you've already alluded to. And, and the reason for that is because they wasted the winnable fixtures, particularly at home, on Nathan Jones. So, yeah, Southampton are down. The other teams, for me, are competing for two places. I said it at the beginning of the season, and um, I think some Southampton fans got really annoyed. But I think the approach in the summer was the wrong one. They always put themselves under the cosh from minute one by signing the type of players they did, having this ludicrous idea that you could play in the Premier League with kids uh, who are inexperienced and have never done it before, bringing them in, looking to sort of fatten them up for sale and then trying to live off the profits. It was never a method that was going to work in the most competitive and most frightening league in the world. It is a brutal 38-game slog. And if you think you can manage to get through with with kids that have been discarded by other Premier League academies or kids that you've turfed out uh, from French teams that haven't even reached their 20s yet, You've got another thing coming. So I think the board and the ownership have got a lot to answer for when it comes to Southampton's almost inevitable relegation to the championship. Uh, Brentford against Newcastle. Newcastle could be the first team to win at the G-Tech Stadium since September. I'm going to put my head on the line here and say they will win that game. On to Easter Sunday. Uh, Two games from the Premier League affecting opposite ends of the table. Liverpool against Arsenal, big game this. First of Arsenal's two big tests on their run in. Manchester City away to come. That's live on TalkSport. I'm going to Anfield on Sunday to watch this game. Um, I think Arsenal will be pretty confident about going there, despite Liverpool's good home form, Dean. Yeah, because every time I sort of think, you know, are Arsenal going to wobble? And then every time I watch them, I think they're not. I mean, they're just so good to watch. They've been so impressive. And you're right, I think they will probably for quite a long time, go to Anfield feeling really confident. And, you know, you look at, obviously, Liverpool's um, season and that midfield where I think it is crucial and where I think really 
Arsenal really do excel. Um, it's look, it's not going to be easy. Of course, it's not because it's Liverpool, Anfield, and 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 it can be difficult, and they can turn up on, on a, any given day. But I, I do, I really fancy Arsenal to go there and and actually win win pretty comfortably. I've just been I've just been so impressed with with Arsenal every time I see them and every time I think, well, are they going to have a wobble? And they just don't. And our esteemed friend here will often uh, utter the phrase, I did tell you. Um, but Dean, you stuck with Mikel Arteta when everybody else had lost Mikel Arteta. Um, you were always one of those coming out with the, the phrase that used to sort of baffle me, I can see what they're doing. Uh, and it, it has come good for them, hasn't it? I mean, that patience has come good for yeah, them. Yeah, it has. And the reason I was saying it, because I felt like in certain games, I could absolutely see how they're playing consistently now in the odd game. They would then go three games without showing it. And that was the that was the point. And it's taken, you know, strong uh, ownership and, and st- strong management to be able to get rid of the players that, that he clearly didn't want and get the right players in. But, I guess the only thing is they've got some tough games coming up, and you just look at that Manchester City lineup, and you know you look at Arsenal and go, well, is Rob Holding going to play every game now till the end of the season, or is Kivior going to come in and play? And you look at Manchester City, and they've got about five or six, you know, top quality yeah. centre backs that can, and and that that could play a role as we get towards the end of the season if Arsenal pick up. Any more injuries on the way through? Um, if they don't, I, you know they'll be right there. Um, Crook, obviously, going to uh, Anfield uh, this season has been a lot easier for most teams than it has been in 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 previous years. I mean, you obviously found that out when you went there with Manchester United. Oh no, hold on a second, that didn't turn out particularly well for Manchester United. Is there any chance that Liverpool could pull a performance out like that from their backsides? Not sure. Um, I think that was a bit of an anomaly for both clubs, actually. And you look at the stats, Liverpool had eight shots and scored seven. Um, and obviously, it's a derby against Manchester United, so that gets them fired up. Um, I think the thing about Liverpool this season, to be fair, Tony Cascarino was saying this even before the World Cup break, you'd back anybody against Liverpool because they give you a chance. Quite often, they give you a head start. Quite often, they concede the first goal. And I just think Arsenal... They gave Chelsea got... about four chances on Monday night and they didn't take them. <laughs> I just think Arsenal have got this ruthless streak about them. They've got this fearlessness that comes from being a, a, they're a young side, what, second youngest or maybe even youngest, I think, in the Premier League. I think I, I'm leaning towards agreeing with Dean, although my caveat to that would be Arsenal's record at Anfield is pretty dismal in recent years. So sometimes that does come into play. You know the last play. time they won there in the league? Tell me. 2012, the goal scorer is Lucas Podolski and Santi Cazorla. Yeah, so that that, that would be that time. would be a slight concern if I was going to you know put up a, a big shout for Arsenal to win. But I think if they're going to win the Premier League, they've got to be beating this Liverpool side, as Manchester City did last week. Six changes from Klopp uh, in midweek. Salah left out. Trent Alexander-Arnold left out. Robertson left out. Um, in terms of how many of those will come back. I, mean, well, I don't think we're going to see too many changes from that Chelsea lineup because when I spoke to Jurgen Klopp in the tunnel afterwards, he was pretty pleased about the fact that he thought that their team had made steps forward, incremental steps, tiny steps. I asked him whether or not he thought that the turning of the tide was taking longer than he anticipated. And he said, look, absolutely. 
It is hard. It is it is a tragedy. It's five wins in 18. I said to him, do you sort of fear what could come next? And he said, look, we're a different football club to others. Some clubs decide to change their managers. We decide to do it in a different way. And I think he feels as if he's got the confidence of the board. And so he should, Dean, right? Because he's got a lot of credit in the bank. He's clearly a very experienced and talented manager. And as he said to me on Tuesday night in the tunnel at Chelsea, I didn't lose my football brain, if I ever had one, overnight. No, and, and you know, if if you see Klopp as, you know, an unbelievable manager, which I do, I think you give him the opportunity to to be able to develop a, a new squad as such, to, to be able to freshen things up over a period of time and maybe have, you know, a, a blip in between. You know, even Sir Alex Ferguson didn't win every single Premier League. He had to... Um, you know, he had to freshen things up at, at, at times that may have cost them the odd Premier League title. But they have been they have been a poor team this season. You know, just when I think they might turn the corner, they put in another performance that you go, Wow, this this team is so far away from the one that was just unplayable in terms of intensity. That the intensity has just completely fell off fell off a cliff and, and and that's that's the thing that worries me for Liverpool is where where is that intensity gone? I know the players are a bit older, but you know, the actual real fire that you sort of saw from that side, I, I, I that's the thing I don't see anymore. Are are they not burnt out by the fact that they played sixty three games last year and got within minutes and seconds of winning all four trophies? It didn't happen. They won two of them. Yeah, that was a great season and they were brilliant during that period. But when you've done that, when you've gone to the well that many times, when you've got yourself over the line, surely it has a lasting effect, right? Yeah, but I think that's that's then okay. If you if you can accept that and accept that it's going to take this season and another pre-season and another couple of faces through the door for that to happen, then you accept it and, and you then look forward to, to next season. It's, it's hard for a club like Liverpool to do that, but maybe you're right. I suppose the difference... I suppose the difference is with Sir Alex Ferguson when he, he he had a great team and then had to dismantle it and rebuild it. They were still achieving something, weren't they? They were still getting into the, the top four. They were still in and around the title race. They were still putting trophies on the board, whether that be like the FA Cup or, or whatever. But ultimately, Liverpool have fallen so far away off the pace this season. That's the startling thing about it. Same with sort of Chelsea. You know, you're up there challenging for two cup finals and uh, breezing into the top four last season and thinking about going for the title this year. And then all of a sudden you find yourself in the bottom half of the table. I mean, it is actually crazy. The the drop-off between those two teams is is quite startling. Um, Leeds against uh, Crystal Palace. Bit of credit needed for Javi Grazia. 50% win rate since coming in uh, to the club. He's got the best out of Jack Harrison, uh, for example. He's had to play a couple of matches without uh, big Willie Nonto, who is uh, a terrific little player. If they were to win this game against Crystal Palace, and I expect them to do so because at home they uh, they, they get a lot of goals and they seem to be uh, pretty good at scoring them and Crystal Palace aren't, they'll have 32 points. Now, on reflection, if I'm not mistaken, most of the time you'll stay in the league with 34-35. They could be safe by the end of the, the, the weekend. Well, I wouldn't go quite that far, but it'd be a big step in, in the right direction. And that was a good test of character in midweek, albeit against a wretched Forest side away from home. But they did fall behind early. They did come back and win the game, as you say, with a lot of key players injured. I think 
Ellen Road has become a, a hostile place to go because they've really invested in Javi Grazia. We know from our producer on this podcast that most Leeds fans had had enough of Jesse Marsh by the end of his tenure. Uh, Grazia, he's an unassuming character, isn't he? But he seems to have really brought the fans together. He seems to have a uh, game plan. Everton in the I think Leeds will probably be okay. And I'm with you. I think Palace, particularly with no Wilfred Zaha, I think this is a great opportunity for Leeds to do what Dean wants teams down there to do and put together back-to-back wins and really take a significant step towards safety. Sunday session with Mickey Gray and I come to live from Anfield performance on Arsenal. A big weekend of fixtures. A huge weekend of fixtures on Talksport. We're very much looking forward to it. We'll be back on Monday to review all the action as well. Cheers, Dean. Got Jesse Lingard's name and number on the back, and I tell you what, there's been more goals and assists in that shirt than Jesse Lingard's managed this season. <laughs> hey, um, could you promise me this though? If Nottingham Forest do stay up, you will wear that um, on the final podcast of the season. I'll do it, no problem, just for you. Good. Okay, that's it. That's agreed. Uh, Palace without Zaha, um, which is a problem for them. Although Darren Albrose does tell me these are quick heat. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Before you go, I just wanted to remind you that the Vauxhall ELCV range is the best-selling electric van range from Vauxhall, which is driving innovation in 2024 with its modern facelifted design and improved electric technology. Now, I know that the transition to an electric vehicle can sometimes feel daunting, but rest assured that when you choose Vauxhall, you're in the safest of hands. The ELCV range is designed to be as accessible as a diesel van with an electric range of 261 miles and with one year's free public charging included, you will find it cheaper to run too. If you're already thinking of making the leap to an electric vehicle, then consider this your official sign. Go online and search Vauxhall Electric Vans today. Vauxhall's best-selling electric van range, energising a better Britain. Terms and conditions apply. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. And he thinks he will be back sooner rather than later. Pleasure. Cheers, Crookmeister. Thank you very much. Enjoyable. Uh, good work this week uh, from you. And uh, let's hope that when we get back together on Monday morning, we're talking about a Nottingham Forest win. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> <laughs>